Empire Podcast this week, we look for the simple bare necessities in life with John Favreau, the director of The Jungle Book, while Rebecca Ferguson, not that one, the other one, also pops by to talk about her new film, Despite the Falling Snow. All that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that took Chiwetel Ejiofor's advice from the Doctor Strange trailer and forgot everything we thought we knew. Depressingly, didn't take that long. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Apologies this week, by the way, if you had your podcast feeds and your phones clogged and jammed by basically an unexpected download of, I believe, every podcast we've ever produced. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm reliably informed that we changed RSS feeds and that's why it happened. Nobody tells me nothing. Anyway, this week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is a man who forgot everything he thought he knew about forgetting everything he thought he knew so successfully that he actually ended up remembering everything he thought he knew he thought he'd forgotten he knew. Which was a hell of a day. Uh, wasn't it, Nick DeSimlian? Oh, sorry, Chris. I was just thinking about everything I knew I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a word in an order. Yes. Similar to the ones you just said. Yeah. But I don't under yeah I, you don't understand what I just said. Not really. That's because you forgot everything no, you I mean, knew. Well, I saw the trailer. I know it's from the Dot Strange trailer. Is this? I forgot. That's I think. Here all day. But um, it's been from something else, hasn't it? Uh, that, it's that been line. from many things. Well, yeah, we'll get on to later on. But that's a variation on the tagline from Michael Mann's Ali poster. Forget what you think you know. So we'll get on to it later on. Uh, we'll talk about Doctor Strange uh, later in the show. Last but not least is our geek queen, a lady who forgot everything she thought she knew about Supernatural, and now she's wondering who those two brothers running around with no shirts on are. We keep telling Phil and Nick the Assembly to put on their shirts, because <laughs> But to no avail. Uh, it's Helen O'Hara. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Good, good, good. Could, uh, speaking of shirts, c- could you put your trousers on as well? <laughs> I will not be... No, I will not be dictated to in that way. Oh, I mean, it was more by of a request, the, actually. By but... the, the confines of society... Yeah. <laughs> also, it's remarkably freeing. Anyway, <laughs> should we have a... I wish I could forget what I, what I, <laughs> what I just saw. Uh, okay, this time now for uh, a question. And uh, I'm so happy with you guys. I am so happy with you guys because... And I mean you guys, I mean the listeners of the podcast. Oh. Um, not, not Nick oh. and Helen. Oh. I'm, I'm fairly happy with you guys. Um, hey. Last week I issued an ultimatum because we always get questions on Twitter. We always get questions via email. But we very rarely get questions on Facebook. So I, I issued an ultimatum. I said, if we don't have a question on Facebook, I will never read out a Facebook question again, which is a bit <gasps> of a catch-22. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you answered in your sevens. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> so seven, seven, seven 14, no, we'd, 21. We'd, yeah, we'd loads, actually, we had loads of questions. Uh, so I poured through them all, and we may use other ones in future, but the one I happened upon uh, was from Callum Craney, via Facebook, who says, Heidi Ho there. Heidi Ho back. Seeing as The Jungle Book is out this week and John Favreau is forever immortalised in TV's never-ending Friends reruns, uh, what is your favourite film featuring or directed by a guest star in Friends? Extra points for something not including performances by Brad Pitt, George Clooney or Robin Williams. Oh, that's nice. This is the one with the guest stars. Um, (laughs) Wow. We could be here all day because... Everybody was in Friends. Pretty much. I mean, everybody at some point was in Friends. Gary Oldman was in Friends, so we could say nil by mouth. He was acting with Joey in the, one of the London episodes. I'd love to see a crossover. <laughs> yeah. It, wow. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. It was. Sorry, I'm getting my my friend's head and head is, is is coming on here. It wasn't a London episode, but he played an actor who was uh, starring with Joey in a World War One epic, and he kept spitting in Joey's face. Mm-hmm. Nil by Gunther. <laughs> <laughs> it would be bleak and uncompromising. It would be. God. Would you love to see that? Um, I wouldn't love to see that. No. Poor Gunther. <laughs> he's, he's a lovable, uh, lovelorn fool. Yeah, and I wish him no ill. I think in the reality of the show, it's been ten years now since Friends ended, and in reality of the show itself, it's been more than ten years. Actually, I think Gunther's dead. 
God, this is bleak. Oh. He had very little to live for once Rachel up and went to Paris. He may have ended up with Rachel. We don't know that. It's unlikely he ended up with <laughs> We're Rachel. pretty sure we The only way um, Gunther could have ended up with Rachel is by kidnapping her and forcing her to live under Central Park in the special dungeon he had constructed all the way through the ten years of the show. He may have built a Rachel-shaped robot. That's, <laughs> that's about the happiest ending we can, we can imagine for him. Yeah, poor old Gunther. Anyway, so the question is, favourite film featuring directed by a guest star in Friends? Now, there, there are several categories here, I think, because there are the people who were guest stars in Friends and they were famous and that is why they were in Friends. So, Bruce Willis, Brad Pitt, George Clooney. Yeah, well, but know, those are the ones he's kind of trying to get to leave out. Yeah. And then there were people who were in Friends kind of before they were famous or before when they were on the cusp of something. So, John Favreau, you imagine, was cast in Friends because people loved him in Swingers at the mm-hmm. time, so that's why they put him in Friends. And obviously, he went on to become huge afterwards. Yeah, Paul uh, Rudd, maybe. So I would say something similar. I say Paul Rudd. He star. wasn't huge at all, no. He appeared in Friends before the likes of Anchorman and Ant-Man and all that sort of, all that jazz. Jim Rash was in the last episode, if memory serves. He was on the plane with Rachel. So The Way Way Back is in contention. I feel like I've, I've been trying to focus on people who actually went on to direct something because I think that's a bit tougher. Because, as you say, everybody was in Friends at some point, so they've been in all of the films since. Yeah. So short of naming all of the films, you know, how do we do this? <laughs> um, but, yeah, Jim Rash was in was in the final episode on a plane with Rachel, which then reminded me that Hugh Laurie was on a plane yes. sitting next to Rachel and famously hated her. Yes. Which I, I still find absolutely charming. The problem is, I think, with Hugh Laurie, he has done incredible work in his career and almost all the best stuff is on TV. It's really yeah, yeah. hard. It's really hard. If you were making like a top 10 list of Hugh Laurie stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. I feel like you'd be straining to put any film stuff in the top five because you've got Blackadder, you've got um, Jeeves and Worcester, you've mm-hmm. got The House. Night Manager, you've got House. Yeah. You know, it just, it doesn't feel right to put his film stuff top. What, Street Kings? Street Kings is easily <laughs> better than the whole of Jeeves and Worcester. Stuart Little? <laughs> Which is charming, don't yeah. get me wrong. But the yeah. oranges didn't he do that as well? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Where he had an affair with Leighton Meester, who came on to him in an episode of House. Oh my goodness! Mm. He took his time. He bided. <laughs> he got there in the end. Yeah, I, I actually love that cameo by Hugh Laurie. And that was before he was American famous. Yes, he was that only was, British was, famous. Yeah, at that he point. was only British famous at that point because he absolutely nails Rachel's character. She is a horrible human being. Oh, how dare you! Dreadfully throughout the the course of Friends tenure history, and yet we still love her. No, I was just thinking about Friends. Fan, are you, no, I, I am. I'm watching it for the first time all yeah. the way through. I mean, I've obviously seen lots of episodes individually, but I'm a bit OCD and I like to watch a show all the way through. So I'm watching it on Netflix, and I'm up to like season I don't know 41 or something. Um, <laughs> but no, it's good. It's great. I like it. I like Frasier more. But um, uh-huh. yeah. I'm good. I'm just I'm just musing because there's so many ways you can go with this. But I think the correct answer is Time Cop. <laughs> <laughs> I've, cr- I've crunched the numbers, and it's Time Cop. Okay, but All I was right, also well. I was also quiet because I was looking up uh, what Marcel the monkey's been up to, mm. and that's interesting. Really? So what has he been doing? She played <gasps> by a female capuchin monkey Gender-bending. named Katie, who has her own IMDb page. No. That is awesome. And she has been on Thirty no. Rock, where she plays chess with Tracy Morgan. Amazing. Film-wise, not so much, but because um, there's, there's sort of various capuchin monkeys in Hollywood. Yeah. And oh, so really? Yeah. So there's a different one in Pirates of the Caribbean, and there's other there's other ones that pop up. So it's quite... so she wasn't the one in Outbreak. No. Ah. Oh. Apparently they not. lied to us. Apparently not. They really did. I genuinely believed no, no, that. I thought it was. No, hang on, hang on. I, I I may be getting my my facts wrong. Here. <laughs> Your monkeys mixed up. Let's uh, let's check this out. But um, I know that she was definitely the one in Bruce Almighty. Uh-huh. Gets in trouble with some gangbangers. Um, not that type, Chris. And uh, yeah, 
That's, that monkey's had a great career. Wow. That so, monkey has had a better career than any of us, let's be honest. And most of the friends cast. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. A lot of people have had better careers than this. Funny story, when David Schwimmer came in once for a web chat, he was asked questions about the monkey and gave the most <laughs> Ross expression I've ever s- seen. And I said, shall we skip the monkey questions? He went, yes, please. Oh, did so. he have the little hang dog? Oh, no. Why does this show keep dogging me? Well, I think just, why do I have to keep... Me. He didn't mind talking friends. He was just yeah. like, do we, do we have to talk monkey? But it's true, isn't it? It's like, you get in a room with a friend... And at some point, you've got to talk friends, haven't you? I mean, you have to, there's right? A, yeah. There's that certain facial expression that each of them adopts, I think. when I, And I think it's more Matthew Perry and David Schwimmer. The others seem a bit cooler with it, but the, the, they don't seem to want to talk about... But they get asked, you know, every every two hours whether they're going to do a reunion. <laughs> and they could have done one. It, like, was it last month where five of them were together and it was just Matthew Perry that wasn't there? Yeah, he was a holdout. He should have just done it, because then they wouldn't have asked him again for like a week. <laughs> Yeah, a whole week free. Yeah, do you want a friends reunion? I know that's not the question, but hey, do you want do you want one? Would you would you like that if like for the fifteenth anniversary of the end of the show? So two thousand nineteen, they got together and they did a one off at the twentieth into two thousand twenty four. I, I mean, assume we're all alive by then. Maybe. Maybe they, they gather for Gunther's funeral. <laughs> you are a monster. You are determined to kill this poor man. A murder I'm mystery. Not. A murder mystery. One of them has killed Gunther. But who? I don't know. I would watch did that. You, did you read that theory on the internet that recently popped up that Ross is basically insane? He's been driven insane by these people who are meant to be his friends, and so he's <laughs> he's basically psychotic by the See, end of the series. I read a ridiculous theory that it was all in Phoebe's imagination, Whoa. and that she really was a, a homeless lady looking in the window of Central Park. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that was um, that was someone. I don't think it was a theory necessarily. It was it wasn't someone on Twitter saying it was a perfect way to end the show with with her looking through the window. Of, I mean, of perfect, you know, per, per, really dark and depressing <laughs> way to end the show. I don't know. I think leave well alone would be, yeah, would be that's the way probably to go. safest. Um, the correct answer, of course, oh god, is die hard because it's the answer. It's the correct answer to everything. How much money do I have in my pockets? Die hard. What would I like for lunch? Die hard. How would I like to go? Die hard. Hang, hang on. Um, so yeah, it's die hard. Of course, I think we talked about this in the podcast before, and this raises issues, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Because Bruce Willis isn't die hard, and it's established in Friends that Chandler and Joey are big friends of Die Hard, and yet do they blink an eyelid when Bruce Willis walks into Central Park later on, pretending to be someone else? That is no, they don't. That's a head twister. Maybe it's Richard Gere in that universe, who, <laughs> who was also well, you know, Frank Sinatra was offered Die Hard. He had to be contractually offered Die Hard because mm-hmm. he had been the star of a book, uh, a film based on the book in that series. It's complicated. They went to a whole bunch of different people. I think Stallone was offered it. Richard Gere was offered Die Hard. So it, in, in the Friends universe, maybe Richard Gere is John McClane. Maybe. Richard Gere is John McClane. I mean, yeah, you know, it could yeah, happen. You could go for that. I don't All think right. he would look as good in a vest. He would oh, have, he, he looked had, pretty good in a vest. He would have had like seen... a waistcoat or something. I don't know. Have you not seen American Gigolo? He looks pretty good in a vest. Good point. <laughs> All right, on that bombshell. <laughs> um, everyone's now regretting having sent in a question via Facebook, but if you do want to have a question read out on the Empire Podcast, Facebook is just one of the many avenues open to you. We're on Empire Magazine in there, weirdly enough, so do send in your questions uh, via direct message. That's the best way for us to read them. Don't just post them on our wall because we won't see them because people fling poo at the wall like Marcel the monkey and we just, you know, we don't tend not to read it so much. So the direct messages are the best way to do that. Twitter is also available to you. We're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. Or there's email, podcast at emperoronline.com. Right, let's have a guest. Should we have a guest? Yeah. Because there's two guests on this week's show. We're just so jam-packed. And our first guest is an old favourite, or, or should I say, favourite. No. Or should I say... Favzerit. No. Uh, I think I should, because I wrote it down, of the magazine and of the pod. He's a man who's worked his way up from swinger 
to King of the Swingers oh, I see as director there. of this week's Jungle Book. I'm sure I'm not the first to do it. <laughs> I'm guessing I won't be the last. Along the way, of course, he's been an actor, he's been a writer, and he's been a founder of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's been a man who wants to become the ultimate fighting champion on Friends and much, much more. He is, of course, John Favreau Favs. And in a shock twist, we sent John career killer Nugent along to speak to him. I hope they got along, or at least extended a hand of friendship. There were no survivors. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy John Favreau's last interview. We are very glad to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Director John Favreau. How are you, sir? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you very much for joining us. Great. Um, congratulations on the film. Uh, it's already generating huge buzz. Thank you. Uh, I believe 100% on Rotten Tomatoes at the moment. The, 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 uh, the reviews are starting to trickle in. They seem to be good so far. All very good. And we had news last night that uh, a sequel is already in the works. Is that correct? Um there is uh, what what was printed was a rumor, but but I can confirm that we've been talking about the notion of doing a sequel and what a sequel might be, but um, there was no decisive step that was taken that that report was based on. The fact is that they wait until they see how the movie does sure. for a film of this size. They they I think they you know you all like to talk about it and and have wishful thinking that it's going to do well enough to have yeah. a sequel. But that conversation doesn't really begin until they see how, how the film performs. But you would very much be involved yeah, in a sequel? Yeah, I would be involved with, okay, it, with it. And I, and I would be happy to. It was a very interesting process. It was a, it was a uh, you know, we used a combination of techniques based on animation, motion capture, and, and, and live-action photography that, that uh, was unique to this film and, and helped achieve the effect that you see if you look at the film or the mm. trailer. You could see that there was a, you know, there's there's a very nice um, integration between live action and CG here in a way that I don't think has been done in quite this way before. This film is almost entirely CG. I mean, would yeah. you almost consider it an animated film? Where does it? it you know, it would. It, if you look at what defines an animated film, it it it, it would qualify to be an animated film. Every mm. shot's animated. Yeah. Uh, but there is a live action boy. Uh, acting the role of Mowgli at, at the heart of the film. Hmm. And so I think that since everything is being keyed off of the look of the photography of of Mowgli, it has a live-action feel. So even though it's animated and done in, in much the same way uh, an animated film or a motion capture film is done where everything, the environment's rendered, the characters are rendered, Everything has to match that one live action element, and that creates um, a much different set of standards for the way that the, the shots are comped, and the style of the animation has to be much more realistic so it doesn't bump with the kids, so it doesn't feel like a kid in a cartoon world, hmm. uh, you know, and, and so that's the... That's the challenge. But I think the reason people are calling it live action is because aesthetically it, it looks, and that was our goal, was to make it look like live action, was to make it look like uh, an environment that the, that the kid really was in, even though we never went to the jungle and yeah. there were no animals uh, being filmed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is almost the most impressive CGI I think I've ever seen on Thank screen. You. Was there a worry that uh, it's almost too realistic? Did you ever feel you wanted to pull back from the realism? I, we, we took some opportunities to exaggerate reality in certain areas like scale mm. you know I felt I felt Avatar had a tremendous amount of impact and part of that is because they created their environment from nothing and so a, a lot of it came out of imagination 
and you really felt like you were in a different world. Now here, of course, we're, we're, we're meant to be in the jungles of India, so you can't take that much liberty. Mm-hmm. But looking at, as long as the lighting and the textures feel real, you can exaggerate elements like scale in a way that uh, are acceptable. Um, especially the, the scale of the animals. You know, if you, if you saw a panther next to a human, the panther feels kind of small. Um, but then I remembered the way Disney depicted it, and Bagheera was kind of big compared to Mowgli. And, and so I wanted to preserve that sense of scale. And I, I also felt that it gave us the freedom to present the jungle in a way that, as it might be seen through the eyes of Mowgli, hmm. through the eyes of a child, where everything feels bigger. If you've ever gone back to an old school or an old apartment you lived in, it, it seems so tiny now, and hmm. you remember it's so big. And so I wanted to use this to, to our advantage to give us the freedom to create different backgrounds so it didn't all feel like we were just on the backdrop of the same jungle and so we deal with different seasons different elements different times of year uh, different weather conditions different uh, elevations and to try to create a really rich lush background with with a lot of variety to keep it visually interesting and you have a, an amazing voice cast in yes. this film uh, Bill Murray as Baloo is a highlight for many people. Yes, really. for me, certainly. Yeah. Uh, how, first of all, how do you track him down? I mean, he's notoriously hard to track down. Well, that's, you have to yeah. Leave <laughs> like an answer phone message for him? Or? I did. I wrote letters. I <laughs> I talked to people who had directed him previously yeah. to help be my Sherpa through the process. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there was a, a you know re- representatives that you can get a letter to that would get it to him yeah. ostensibly. It's, it is like interviewing a fugitive, <laughs> and I think he is a bit of a fugitive. I think yeah. he's a fugitive because he's so recognizable, yeah, and also very accessible. So to have that combination of everywhere you go, everybody knows you, and he really takes a moment as he meets people mm. at, in his life. It's not like he's. Um, closed off he doesn't have like a big entourage around him he's he's generally moving around the world alone and taking pictures with people and enjoying his life and but part of it is he goes where he wants to go and he works on what he wants to work on and, yeah. and he's found that balance in his life but I, I could tell you from spending time with the guy it's a uh, if you are in his in his sphere and you're you know you're sharing an experience with the guy it's it's everything you'd hope it would be you know for us it was i had a few sessions with him so i still am a bit starstruck when i'm around yeah. him and not quite not quite used to socializing with the guy yeah christopher walken as well as someone you might be starstruck by yeah i'm still starstruck yeah. by him and and he you know i know all these people i know their work better than i know them yeah and uh there's other people that you work with that you know you you kind of push past that but on a fi- on a film where you only have a, a handful of sessions that you work with them you you still you maintain that that fans sense of them and, sure. and and their body of work i get the impression with christopher walken that he is as we picture him like there's no it's not an act like he is that's no but he does have a sense of humor about things and he is aware of the crowd and he's aware of uh you know he could definitely i think he's a showman like he likes to he digs the attention and he likes the you know he likes to do a variety of things he was working on peter pan at the Mm -hmm. time when we were doing this which i wouldn't have guessed that would have been what he would have gone for and then you see him as is uh, Captain Hook and it all makes sense so yeah. you know he's a he's an interesting dude that comes from a song and dance background but also an independent film background yeah. and you know he's a New Yorker but he's also a, a Broadway guy and 
it's just he's an interesting character and re- really worked quite well for the character yeah it's, I mean there's so many of your films we could be talking about I just wanted to ask you you're, I mean you're essentially a founder member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe sure, sure. which has obviously come yes. on in leaps and bounds since, yes. since then uh, I just wanted to know your thoughts on Civil War have you seen it I have all, you have I saw an uh, early cut of it okay it is um, it's quite impressive <laughs> yeah so and I, I think uh, and I felt very much in keeping with the tone I was very pleased with the tone that the Russo brothers went for yeah uh, it could have been something extremely overwhelming with all the characters in it, but it, it, I found myself smiling a lot, and, yeah. it, and it's very satisfying. They're very, I'm very, I'm very happy they're going to be doing uh, more movies, yeah. doing the, the uh, you know, the, the Avengers films that are coming up. So, yeah. and they're they're very very nice guys, and I think get it. I think I think that having a comedy background is seems to be very helpful yeah. for the Marvel movies. Yeah. It seems to add to the. T- that's the hard part to teach. So if you have people who understand the nuts and bolts of comedy and character-based comedy and, 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 and are, are willing to have fun with, you know, with uh, playing with and against expectation, I think the other stuff you could learn, there's certainly a good support system yeah. there at Marvel to help understand the action and get the effects and all that stuff done. But it's the voice, it's the uniqueness of the voice that I think uh, is part of what defines that. So I think that the person, if the personality of the film is right, I, that's that's what I'm as a, an audience member. That's what I enjoy the most because you're going to get great fights and great effects and all that stuff. Mm. Um, it, it, they're they're getting so good at that stuff now that that's almost like the price of admission. And then it's a matter of what the personality of the film is and if it matches up with what your tastes are. Yeah. And and for Civil War, it really, it really, uh, I was very, I was I was. Uh, and again, I saw it in, a, in an early stage, and uh, it was completely charming even then. So I can't, I can't even imagine what the finished product looks like. Yeah, is there is there a story or a character in the Marvel universe that might lure you back? Could you ever? See yeah, yourself? I think I, I think I would definitely. I'm, I definitely feel like I'm part of the family still. Yeah, and I still work. You know. Uh, uh, from a distance on on them as executive producer on the Avengers films but I would I would you know uh, I like who's working there I like uh, who's in the movies I like the way the movies are going and I would you know now I got some time on my hands after this Jungle Book was a big one you know it was a a long time and a lot of work you know now I'll now I'm coming up for air I'll (laughs) check in with everybody over there and we'll, we'll see what's going on Awesome. Well, we'd love to see you there. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. That is all the time we have. But cheers. uh, Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Take care. Cheers. So, but John Favreau, but um, Nick has a a monkey. (laughs) Nick has a monkey news update. I think I'm going to be sued by Ricky Dre's for doing or Carl Pilkington for doing monkey news. But I've I've just googled monkey actor outbreak. It was not Marcel (laughs) the monkey. What? It was a monkey named Binks who apparently also appeared in George of the Jungle and Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, whereas Katie, the monkey from Friends. Mm did not appear in Outbreak at any point. I'm reluctant to ask, because I don't want to know the answer necessarily, but are these monkeys still alive, as far as you know? Because um, I- Katie, is, well, certainly as of last year, um, yeah. she was uh, appearing in photo shoots with the Jenner, yeah. who is a model. Is that Kylie? Yeah. Yes, her. And apparently she was also in Bruce Almighty. Monkey businesses are booming. <laughs> There's no. not one, not two, but six different capuchin monkeys in Hollywood, and uh, it's not going so well for Finster. Let's just say that. <laughs> Oh man, I think I've I've learned something today. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but it's not uh, good because obviously I forgot what I thought I knew. That's brilliant. Thanks, Nick. Uh, monkey news updates next week because I'm just saying life expectancy in monkeys can't be that great. It's quite long. Yeah, they they do all right. Monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good all right. 
I stand corrected. Okay, so let's have uh, some movie news. Let's talk about some movie news. What's, what's been happening in the world of movie news? Well, a couple of bits of Spider-Man news this week, um, which are pretty exciting. First of all, the standalone Spider-Man movie, which is coming our way, now has a title. It will be Spider-Man colon Homecoming. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got accused of, you know, um, bias for not saying the colon every single time it appears. You so, have to acknowledge the colon. Well, you'd, uh, yes. Uh, Spider-Man <laughs> Homecoming will be the standalone Spider-Man movie. It's due on July 7th, 2017. It will star Tom Holland, not the historian, the actor. We'll get a taste of him in Captain America Civil War and the word is... Ex- not literally. Oh. Uh, we'll get to see him in action in Captain America Civil War and the word is extremely good on his first appearance there. So this is the Sony Marvel team-up for the standalone film. And there is extraordinarily exciting news about a potential villain. The word is Michael Keaton might be joining the cast. There's That's been rumours that the villain would be the Vulture, potentially, which would be a weird sort of a Birdman crossover thing. But Michael Keaton. So he w- it's basically Birdman, evil Birdman. Evil <laughs> Birdman be... meets Spider-Man. Wow. It, p- potentially, we don't know that. That that's all. That's all speculation. He is in talks. He is not confirmed yet. But you know, the last time he played a superhero, like I feel like it went pretty well. When was that? That would have been 1991? 90? 92. 92. Which kind of ruins. Ruins the idea that I was trying to pretend that I didn't know who it was because I forgot everything I thought I knew. Uh, really correcting you. Uh, and what was that hero, Helen? Was that? That would have been Batman. Oh, Batman. Chris. Yeah, okay, that's the Batman I like. Yeah. It's, it's exciting this because um, <laughs> I, be- oh. I believe I believe from what I, from what I have heard that Sam Raimi wanted uh, the Vulture to be did, uh, believe, to be a yeah. villain, and apparently certain people at Sony were not so keen, and so it never happened in the end. I think it was Spider Man, his Spider Man Four, which never happened. Yes, Spider Man Four would have had the Vulture. And am I insane, or was there talk at the time of Larry David? He was one of the names in the in the mix because. Somebody did a Photoshop of Larry David as the vulture flying yeah. around, and I've not been able to get that image out of my head. <laughs> and I, nobody, not even Michael Keaton, in my mind, can, can beat Larry David as the vulture. I mean, that is how the vulture looks, kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know, so... I, I, I would genuinely watch... I don't care about Spider-Man fighting the vulture. I would watch Larry David as the vulture walking around New York, <laughs> <laughs> offending people, getting into mishaps, uh, you know, oh, stumbling over... Oh, you my feathers! Oh, what? What's what the what was <laughs> Oh, how can you be offended by that? Well, that's my Larry David impression. That was um, astonishing. Yeah, just a vulture yeah. trying to get a cup of coffee. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, curb your, en- your enthusiasm with the vulture would be absolutely amazing. And there, was, there was talk of Malcatraz uh, being linked to it as well back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. Malcatraz. Malcatraz. Mal- John Malkovich. <laughs> so, sorry, we're his close personal friend. We are. We are. <laughs> Yeah, this is exciting. I'm very keen to see the vulture. Yeah, I think it, I think it'd be interesting. It'd be a slightly different kind of villain than we've seen before. For it's Spidey, a teenager so. beating up an old man. Is essentially what it is. <laughs> well, you want to break it down to brass yeah, tacks. Yeah, I mean, true. But I mean, it's a I nasty mean, old man. In fairness, it's still you know just wait for rheumatism to take its course. <laughs> <and> just <laughs> you've got time when you're side Spidey. You set this one out. Well, also we don't know if that will be the villain, and we don't know if that will be a side villain or a main villain or whatever okay. so it's, it's all very much under wraps or up in the air if you will so uh, oh. so we shall have to see but um, but see yeah the that. word we're hearing from Civil War is extremely exciting about Spider-Man so, so uh, hooray Spider-Man Homecoming yeah. of course is. I think it's a very good title because he's coming home to the Marvel Cinematic Universe the MCU and yeah again we haven't seen Civil War at this point Empire has seen Civil War people in Empire have seen Civil War they used to be my friends and now yeah. they are my enemies yeah 
Uh, we must crush them and destroy them. <laughs> Empire colon civil war. Empire, yeah, <laughs> Empire colon civil war. <laughs> Are you team Dan or team Chris? So Dan, Dan, Joel and saw it. The, our review is up. Um, might as well say now. People know it's out there. It's, we gave it five stars. The first Marvel movie to get five stars. Yeah. Which, which intrigues me a lot because you know, you know, I'm a Marvel fanboy I give them all five stars they're brilliant you might want to pack a spare pair of underoos <laughs> you, you head off to see that one I will be looking up monkey actors um, I'm so excited so we will see it next Tuesday which is yeah. exciting Michael Keat on you're either a Keat on or a Keat off no hey, hey there's other news this week <laughs> sorry well, what's the other news Helen well uh, Kingsman the golden circle Mm-hmm. Casting proceeds apace. There was news this morning that Channing Tatum Channing. will be playing a southern gentleman, looks like, in the film. Uh, he is from the southern states of the United States, so that seems appropriate. Yes. We don't know much about that. Do you know anything more, Chris? You, you tend though, to have a line on these things. Even if I did, I couldn't tell you. Okay. There was also other casting news, which was slightly even more unbelievable, actually. It's Elton John is apparently This is amazing. This is true. This is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. I mean, I'm not quite sure in what way he would fit in, but Elton He's John. replacing Colin Firth. <laughs> I, thought, I thought there was a chance that Colin Firth might not be entirely dead, just mostly dead. Oh yeah, this is the thing. They're bringing Harry Hart back, but he's now played by Elton John. Interesting. So, yeah. I mean, they both do wear glasses. They both wear glasses. <gasps> is that genuinely what's happening? No! no. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. That would, be, uh, that would be the most demented thing to ever happen in the history of movies. Uh, but especially if it, if it was like you know Sunset Beach or or one of those shows where someone gets recast and they just they just, they just carry on going. as if not yeah, yeah so <laughs> Elton John quick uh, quick quick rundown of uh, Sir Elton John's movie career <laughs> sure so in Tommy the 1975 yeah. um, rock opera he plays the pinball wizard he does yeah in Spice World he played his greatest role himself ah uh, mm. um, not for the first time as he did on The Simpsons mm-hmm. and he was narrator of the Disney film The Road to El Dorado that oh, of course that is Disney isn't it. Yes. Yes. Interesting. And he's, of course, he did, despite, you know, despite, music as despite well. Despite the fact, he that, music despite as well. the fact that's the only acting he's done, he has been in an episode of Inside the Actor Studio with James Lipton. It's not the only acting he's done. He's not. No, no, no. He was in the Country Bears. Was he? Most recently. Yes. 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 Not on his page. Yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. Trust me. The Country Trust Bears. Me. With Trust Christopher me. Walken. Mm-hmm. He plays himself, and uh, of course, uh, you know, he's 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 Elton John. He produces as mm. well. The Lion King. That small matter. Yeah. This is very, very interesting casting news, and Channing Tatum, I'm presuming, will be one of the American Kingsman equivalents, the Statesmen. That would make sense uh, to me, yeah. So, very, very intrigued. And, of course, this week, Pedro Pascal uh, from Game of Thrones. Gosh. He played the Red Viper, was confirmed as Jack, who is the main Statesman, who will be teaming up with Eggsy, played by Taron Edgerton, in this movie. So and they're shooting now, right? They're shooting right now. They were in Italy recently. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, doing, wow. doing stuff doing stuff in Italy so it's all very very exciting well well done Kingsman of the Golden Circle and getting Chanum I guess he became available when Gambit was officially pushed back again I would imagine so yeah I imagine that you know, suddenly he has a, a moment in his, in his schedule and if you can get Channing Tatum in your movie get Channing Tatum in your movie that's that's what I say there's loads of other stuff to talk about as well um, we, we mentioned right back at the beginning and again we're talking about a trailer on the podcast which is always tough but Doctor Strange teaser trailer dropped this week it's the next Marvel movie following Civil War, featuring Benedict Cumberbatch as Stephen Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme. So he's a New York surgeon who gets his hands mangled in a car crash because he's, he's, so, oh, he's so arrogant he can't even drive properly. So he gets his hands crushed and then he like seeks guidance and, and he, he seeks him in the ways of the mystic uh, personified in this case, Matilda Swinton. Basically Garth Marenghi. But essentially, a much bigger budget. <laughs> yeah, which again, I'd, I mean, be, I'd be quite happy with. Uh, you know, just why don't they just cast Matthew Holness 
or Matt Berry in this role. I'd have been quite happy with that. Richard yeah. Aoadi as Doctor Strange. Yeah. So um, what do we make of it? Well, I could certainly relate to the urge to kneel in front of Tilda Swinton and say, teach me. Um, I think <laughs> we've all been there. But uh, yeah, this, this was intriguing looking. Very, very out there visuals. I mean, it does seem a little bit your average origin of the hero story. Mm-hmm. But we live in hope that it will prove to be a bit more than that. But yeah, you know. It leaned, it leaned quite heavily on Inception and Matrix mm-hmm. imagery mm-hmm. for me. So that detracted slightly from the kind of wow factor of the visuals, which which did look amazing, mm. but it did remind me of other films. So Yeah, someone tweeted me this week going, it looks like a combination of Batman Begins, Hellboy, Constantine, <laughs> The Matrix, and Inception. And I'd be quite happy with the combination of those five films. Although I have to say, I was underwhelmed by the trailer. I know it's only a teaser, and the visuals were pretty stunning, mm. but... The fact it started off with a line of dialogue as trite and cliched as forget everything you think you know was a bit a worry for me. I'm also intrigued that Benedict Cumberbatch appears to be using Hugh Laurie's voice from House as Doctor <laughs> Strange. I'm not the first person, again, to point this out. A few people on Twitter have said it. But it does feel to me like, is there one voice that British actors in Hollywood use when they're playing tough, driven surgeons? And so Hugh Laurie <laughs> was done with it and he put it in a box. And then Cumberbatch was going, oh, I don't know how to, whoa, what voice should I use? I'm thinking of doing it like this. Guys, I'm Doctor Strange. And well, Hugh Laurie's like, no, use this voice. I did see someone say that that is a Nebraskan accent and he is meant to be Nebraskan, apparently. So we shall okay. see. But why couldn't they just let him be British? I don't know. Everyone knows he's British. Like Hugh Laurie, when he, when he was uh, American in-house, and he, you know, Hugh Laurie told us this in the podcast himself, a lot of Americans, they didn't know him from Adam and they thought he was American. Yeah. So when they meet him in real life, it's like, oh, hi, hello, I'm Hugh Laurie. That's the worst Hugh Laurie ever. Hello, I'm Hugh Laurie. (laughs) Um, And and so they were like, oh my God, you're British. But everyone knows that Benedict Cumberbatch is British. Mm. And so when when he does an American accent, it just feels, oh, what's happening here? He looks looks perfect, though. He does look good. Doctor Strange. Yeah. And uh, I'm a fan of, you don't think so? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm okay with it. I've come to terms, I guess. I was just hoping for slightly more out there casting than Benedict Cumberbatch. And, and, Um, you know. Why is that not out there casting? Because I think it was the obvious choice. Do you not think? don't think at all. I think absolutely. Sometimes the obvious choice is the right choice. Perhaps it is. That's we shall see. Another line of dialogue from Doctor Strange. <laughs> um, sometimes the Mr. Right Helen is sounding right under your nose. <laughs> is is yeah. he? Look up yeah. actor monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Scott Derrickson. I really liked his last film, which didn't get received particularly well. Deliver Us from Evil, yeah. which has got Thanks. a possessed zoo animal in it. I'm kind of a fan of everything he's done. And, Even uh, the Day of the Earth is still remake? I didn't I'm hate a fan that. Of almost everything. <laughs> I didn't hate that. I did. I liked uh, Exorcism of Emily Rose. It yeah, was creepy. Really oh my god! Yeah, that's you know? that's one of the reasons why I'm usually awake at three a.m. because I'm waiting. I, that's that. Honestly, yeah. when I saw that film, it got to me in a way that very few horror films have done. Yeah, and yeah. I actually stayed awake that night at three a.m. because it was just going through my head. that three a.m. was the the sort of the witchy the hour. Witching when, hour when yeah. all, yeah. And wouldn't you know it? I got possessed by a demon. But <laughs> so, did anyone notice though? So no. Scott Harrison is good at bringing the creepy factor, and I urge you to. Check check out Deliver Us From Evil if only for Sean Harris's demented turn especially the last 20 minutes of the film which Sean is very, very is there very a non-demented crazy. Sean Harris turn <laughs> I want to see a Sean Harris rom-com yeah yeah him and Christian Bale right in a rom-com I mean they don't have to be fixated well, on each other I don't mind but no, this, this you know is, there this... are some actors who just need a rom-com in their career and I feel like those two really really oh, could do no, it I've spilled orange juice on you <laughs> He's, Would you he's like very to come intense. Back to my apartment, I'll dry you off. I love rocks, but I don't like box. Anyway, You're, yeah, your Sean Harris is, is very finely honed. I, Great impression. Yeah, he was a demon that possessed me at three a.m. 
But anyway, yeah, that's uh, so. Yeah, I I think that trailer I I liked a lot about the trailer. I think Tilda Swinton looks fantastic mm. as the ancient one. I think that Cumberbatch will be brilliant once we see the final film. I hope he does more river dance. I mean, don't we all? Uh, that that would be great if he could do more river dance. But I will say that this first teaser underwhelmed me. But fingers crossed. I hope it's not the end of what I think is a very very good run for a studio. But hey ho, hey ho, moving on away from Marvel. Oh, Marvel anal yes, anal uh, beads. Uh, um, just quickly. <laughs> no, don't go on. Helen, you go. <laughs> no, I'm not going to follow that. Well, Jared Leto, uh, CinemaCon happened this week in Las Vegas, or is continuing to happen as we speak. And um, yeah, Jared Leto turned up with the, the rest of the Suicide Squad cast. And uh, he was asked about his, uh, his method and mm. his madness and the various uh, things that he sent to his castmates. And he mentioned that he had also sent anal beads and used condoms to his fellow actors. Yeah, I mean... I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, right? But not cool. No. Like, just not cool. Do not do this. No. So, yeah, there I said it. That's a no. If you're thinking about sending anal beads to anyone, don't do it. Mm. Yeah, we did get them in the office once. What? Uh, yeah, we, we did. Somebody sent them in to, to support some film that, that was coming out. And everyone sort of went, ew, and oh, threw them God. in the bin. Do you remember that? I remember fishing something out of a bin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I don't know the anal beads, though. I don't want to know what you've been using them for. He's got them around his neck now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's like a lucky charm. Hey, there is other news, though. Let's move on. Let's Should really move on, move on I, fast. But, you know, this is, honestly, that is so weird. I mean, what does he get from this? Well, he thinks he's getting into character as this weirdo. I must say, part of me thinks he was joking during this interview. I've only seen the transcript. I don't know. I, I, I interviewed him. I actually did the first proper interview with him for the, this film, and he did not mention it then. So you think he would have led with that? <laughs> you think that would be maybe the sort you of wouldn't? The, you, well, you, no, maybe you, not. You buried a lead there, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows if this? Uh, I guess we'll find out in time wow. if this is actually an actual thing that happened. But, but um, in a way, that's imagine you're Will Smith, one of the world's most famous actors. You're paid millions. Yeah. And you get this package in the post, and you go, "Oh, this is from my co-star, Jared." Oh, that's very. What the hell is this? No. No! You just, you would go, yeah, you wouldn't be happy, would you? I mean, Nick wasn't happy when I sent him used condoms, but it was his birthday. There is other news this week, uh, and it it involves two of my favourite people in the whole world. Oh, thanks, Helen. Yeah, and two two of the others of my favourite people in the world. Mark Rylance and Steven Spielberg. Get a room, you two. I know, right? They are re-teaming for the 50 millionth and 60 millionth time uh, in the near future. So they obviously made Bridge of Spies together and went on from that to the BFG, which will be coming up soon. We saw the trailer for that recently. Hey, I was in France this week. Yeah. In Paris. Absolutely you know what they call the BFG in Paris? No. The BFG with Royale. No, hang on. <laughs> no, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, they call it the BGG, the Bon Gros Chéant. Bon Gros Chéant, voilà. Yeah. So the BFG, or BGG, if you happen to be French, GG, I suppose, BGG. is still coming up, and they are re-teaming once again. They have Rylance signing on to Ready Player One, which is Spielberg's next big sci-fi effort involving a sort of virtual reality game, essentially, called Oasis. And Rylance will be playing, I believe, the creator of that game, who's called Halliday. He's the kind of Steve Jobs figure. I'm not sure how big a role he'll have, because the whole point is that he dies and leaves Whoa. control of the game in the game, and so somebody, everybody is racing to find it to to gain control of this virtual world. It's an amazing cast so you've also got Ben Mendelsohn and Simon Pegg in there which is pretty darn good going as well as Ty Sheridan and Olivia Cook. And 
Then they also have another film lined up together because one is never enough. They'll be making The Kidnapping of Edgardo Mortara, which will see Ryland playing Pope Pius IX, which is pretty cool. I wonder what that would be called in France. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'll be honest. But anyway, uh, this is uh, Spielberg reuniting with another favourite of his, Tony Kushner, who wrote Munich and Lincoln scripts for him. And it's the true story of a seven-year-old Italian Jew who was taken from his parents and raised as a Catholic by, essentially, the papacy, by the Pope. He ended up becoming a priest and Rylance will play the the Pope who kind of oversaw his his development and his growth. But yeah... Mm interesting weird story so that will be yeah. a bit, of, bit more of an acting challenge one yeah. imagines than Ready Player One interesting mm. I got a feeling those guys get on I think um, so you too think? yeah it'd be amazing <laughs> if it turns out they hate each other and they're just <laughs> frosty silence whenever they're in the room damn it I hate you but yeah. you're good you're so good what if people <laughs> thinks he's casting Mark Ruffalo and every time <laughs> Ryan Lance is so good he convinces him that he is Mark Ruffalo <laughs> you know I can I can see that stranger things have happened hey here's an idea Rylands and Ruffalo together in a movie doing anything like making a cup of tea I wouldn't mind I'd watch it it's interesting because I heard that Spielberg was trying to get Gene Wilder to play that part in Ready Player One at a certain point so try and get him out of retirement wow which would have been a very kind of interesting you know Willy Wonka kind of callback because the character in the book is, is very much a kind of Willy Wonka figure but no Rylands I'm for it yeah we'll see We'll Good see. stuff. It's interesting because he's a very, very geeky character, obviously. Yeah. And I can't think of anyone much less geeky seeming than Mark Rylance. But well, he's yeah. not. He's not geeky, but he has a he has a streak of oddness in him that I think will will stand him among yeah. the geeks. Well, he's making it for last time, isn't he, Rylance? Because he he uh, he largely avoided movies, and then he made The Gunman with Sean Penn. And I think <laughs> you'd stop there. I, that, would, I would stop there. Well, to be honest, because you can't beat that. But it obviously has given him a taste. Didn't he turn down a role in Empire of the Sun back in the eighties for Spielberg because the I Ching told him to, basically? And he went off and did the RSC instead, and that worked out pretty well. Yeah. So maybe he's just you know he's going where the fates will take him, and it seems to be working out. Indeed, uh, I'm intrigued, and I, I basically at this point I have to say as well that I think they're basically just straight up trolling Frank Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know you don't know who I am alright okay well now I'm going to be in every Steven Spielberg movie in fact I'm going to be digitally inserted into every previous Steven Spielberg movie <laughs> I am E.T. deal with it that's what Mark Rylance is saying someone tweeted me today and now I know what they meant before they said they said there's so much news how can the pod possibly cope with it all and I kind of ah, but they're right oh my god there's been so much happening this week there's so much news we haven't even talked about Scott Eastwood joining the cast of Fast and Furious 8 which I know Nick in particular has some incendiary opinions on go yeah, I'm I'm kind of for it in a way. See, he's furious. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess there was there was a space for blondish eye candy after the tragic events of a couple of years ago. So mm-hmm. he certainly you know fills that role pretty well. Do you like him, Helen? I mean, I'm not saying I like him. I'm, we've had this discussion. I'm just saying he's definitely eye candy. So will the end of the movie just be him and Charlize Theron having a kind of catwalk off? <laughs> a good, good look. I don't off. even know who would win that fight. Like that is that that's some big guns in terms of looks. That is wow. Hey, speaking of good-looking people, Donald Gleason's potentially going to play A.A. Milne. That's an interesting one. Who would have thought we'd have a film by A.A. Milne? But, you know, could be happening. It would be about Milne and his son Robin, who was the inspiration oh. for Christopher Robin, That's and the toys that. inspired the books, and, okay. you know, awesome. I mean, it's 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 not the most exciting film oh of the week. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I enjoy Donald Gleason and 
I enjoyed Winnie the Pooh well, as a child. Here's what I would point out to you. Donald yeah. Gleeson was in four different Oscar-nominated films of last year. So therefore, this is something we should be keeping an eye on. This so guy clearly so attracts Oscars. He's like the, the Tesseract of Oscars. He is the Tesseract of Oscars. Yeah. So if people cast him in their movie, it will get Oscars. So I mean, if the, Vin Diesel know, wants Fast 8 to win... He Oscars. should have cast Donald Gleeson and not Scott Eastwood. Yeah. Did you know that Scott Eastwood refers to jiu-jitsu as jits? <laughs> no. I, I met him on the set of Suicide Squad in a gym where he was doing some extraordinary, like, hardcore-looking stuff. What were you doing in a gym? I don't know. I was, <laughs> I was interviewing Adam Beach in a gym. That's where he wanted to do the interview. And, uh, yeah, Scott Eastwood came up and he said, hey, man, I'm just going to finish my jits and then uh, I'll talk to you. Finish my jits. Wow. Maybe he's an accountant and he was talking about jits. No. no? Okay. That's an awesome fact. I think we've learned a lot today. The BFG is the BGG in France, and uh, Scott Eastwood calls Jiu-Jitsu Jits. Two I mean, incredible facts that will get huge, you through your week. <laughs> huge facts. That's um, going to help um, you a lot. Uh, here's another couple of things as well. So apparently the frontrunner, this is reported today, um, and this is all Scuttlebutt, so take it with a pinch of salt. The frontrunner for young Han Solo is now Alden Ehrenreich, who seems to have... From uh, Hail Caesar. From Hail Caesar, uh, who seems to have bested... Jack Rayner and Taron Egerton in Mortal Kombat for that role. Of course, as we pointed out in the podcast a few weeks ago when his name was in the running, he's only five foot eight, so it's Han Solo on a box. But it means <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to cast someone who's massive as Chewbacca. You can just cast someone who's like normal size. Yeah. And they'll, they'll look huge next to Alton Ehrenreich. But yeah, well, we, we'll wait for official confirmation. And this is something I missed completely. Sorry, it's more Marvel stuff. Uh, but anyway, uh, Creed Tessa Thompson, who's very, very good in that film, yeah. uh, has joined the cast of Thor Ragnarok. But the interesting thing is that Natalie Portman is not returning. Yeah, which implies yeah. that they won't be coming to Earth so much, maybe. Uh, yeah, I didn't expect it to be a huge amount on, on Earth in no. this one, but it also implies that maybe Natalie Portman doesn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, given that that's a fairly pivotal relationship in, in that world, then uh, it'd be very interesting to see where that goes. But it's you, good to hear Tessa Thompson getting some, some follow-up work after yes. Creed, because she was fantastic in that. She was very, very good indeed. Another trailer came out this week, which was very good, was the new Monster Calls trailer. Yeah, very uh, excited film. Yeah, about that one. excited about that one. And Underworld has a new, Underworld 5 has a new title, Underworld Blood Wars. I mean, figures. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and sorry, how do we even miss this? Uh, there's tons of news. It's very exciting, because I'm a big fan of Dick Tracy. Yes. Warren Beatty, this yeah. week, told somebody that he wants to do a sequel to Dick Tracy, starring and direct, what the heck... Hey, I am so down for this because, you know, that film actually I think is is massively underrated. Uh, the music is terrific in it. and uh, Amazing makeup. Amazing makeup. Incredible cast. Al Pacino, Madonna, James Caan, Dustin Hoffman, Beatty himself. Like, it's just, it's, it's cool. I think it'd be fun. And it's interesting because... It will, won't happen. Will, will Dick Tracy now have an Apple Watch? Because <laughs> um, that watch exists now. I remember seeing that movie in the 80s as a kid and, and getting... I really wanted that watch. And I, the, the whole look, the... The, the coat, the, man. The coat, the hat. Yeah. Yeah. Dick Tracy was very cool. It feels like a very odd time to be bringing it back because, you know, Warren Beatty's getting on a bit. I honestly don't think it will happen, but I'm delighted that someone is talking about it. I can't see that happening either, to be honest. He's taken ages to complete this uh, Howard Hughes movie that he's he's making, which apparently may show up in some form of can, which stars, weirdly enough, Alden Ehrenreich um, and Billy Collins and Warren Beatty himself. But I don't know. He takes a long time to make movies these days. He's 79 years old and you can do amazing things with mocap so he doesn't necessarily... <laughs> no, I'm serious. He, can, might, he might be interested in that because Dick Tracy was a, was a stylistic exercise. Obviously, he used the four primary colours yeah. and, you know, fantastic uh, Sondheim Madonna soundtrack. So maybe he wants to push it in a different direction. Maybe he thinks, okay, I'm 79 years old. How can I play this action hero? Mocap might be the way to go. Could do. But, yeah, possibly. Uh, possibly. But 
thanks for the uh, the segue into another actor stepping up the plate and directing a superhero movie because uh, again this happened earlier in the week which is why I've only just remembered it but it's been confirmed that Ben Affleck will indeed direct and star in a standalone Bat movie yes and I am pleased about that I, I am okay with that yeah. he was one I'm of the okay best things that. in Batman Superman I thought and uh, there was nothing particularly wrong with his Batman necessarily as a standalone character I think most of the problems with that movie for me anyway were to do with the conception of Superman so yeah I think and you know obviously as a director uh, and writer of films he has done extraordinarily good work in the last few years so uh, I think we have to be very excited about this one Will he be getting some used condoms in the post? Oh god Because will the Joker Joker be the, the primary villain in this film which is very interesting we'll see how Suicide Squad goes my feeling about Suicide Squad is the Joker's going to be kind of on the fringes of the action rather than right in the middle of it all. So yeah. he's kind of, they're, mm. they're kind of teasing the Joker more in that film. And it would be very interesting if in the Batman film, that's when you see him back again. You know, it's implied they've got a lot of history in Batman v Superman. So it's yeah. be interesting to see whether it's a kind of rematch. It could be fun. I think, I think, I think that's what people want to see. They want to see this Batman. They just want to see Batman and the Joker. I want to see Batman and the Joker. And of course, it was a new Suicide Squad trailer this week as well. And this yeah, movie really good like a, one. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. This yeah. movie, I think it could be, uh, it could be great. Cannot wait to see Harley Quinn. Yeah, you know, I was slightly skeptical about Suicide Squad when it came together, but I think the trailers are are fantastic. The cast is great. I'm on board. I think it could be, it could be the one. And then if Batman gets, you know, if they slowly start getting the the solo movies right, then yeah, we could have something with the, the DCEU, which is the official name for it, the DC Extended Universe. So there we go. Tons of stuff. I just want Granny's PGT to get her own movie. There's a lot of potential there. And let's move on now to our second guest this week, who is one of my very favourite Rebecca Ferguson's. Please don't make me choose. This is the Swedish actress we're talking to, of course, not the Scouse singing sensation. She had a breakthrough moment last year with her cracking turn in Rogue Nation, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. And you can see her this week in Despite the Falling Snow. And we sent Phil Dissemnian along to speak to her in her native Swedish, which has since been dubbed into English. Enjoy. Rebecca Ferguson, welcome to the Empire Podcast. I think this is your debut. It is. Debut. It's not a sporting event, but I'm welcome. I'm nervous. Well, you shouldn't be. Well, you can be if you, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. Well, it's up to you. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very uh, informal, relaxed podcast, the Empire okay. Podcast. Um, we're here specifically to talk about Despite the Falling Snow. We are. Which follows Hot on the Hills of the Snowman. I'm assuming part two of your snow trilogy. Mm. God, what would be the third one? I don't Snowfall. know. Snowfall. Snowball fight, the movie. Snowball fight number three. We'll come back to this towards the end of the interview. We've both got an answer to it. You play, you follow in a rich heritage of actors who've played more than one character in the same movie. I've got a list that's got Christian Bale, Jeremy Irons, Betty Davis, Alec Guinness, everyone in... Alec Guinness in Kind Hearts and Coronets. I think he played seven. You only played two. Do you get paid twice as much? Four times as much. Oh, okay. I know, it's really weird. It's a multiplier at work. I'm extremely rich. No... (laughs) Uh, no, 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 I don't. I don't. To, just to put it into context, it's split across two timelines. One is set in Moscow during the sort of the, I was going to say the heat of the Cold War, the cold of the Cold War, mm-hmm. in which you play Katya, who gets caught up in espionage work mm-hmm. for reasons that you discover. And then you play Lauren, who is, I think it's the sort of early 90s. And she's on the trail of what happened to Katya. Mm. Is it a unique challenge to play two characters in the same? And, and how does that affect your kind of relationship with the project, I guess, when you're on set? I think when I hadn't read the book, I was introduced to Shamim. I knew about her previous work. My agent called and said that if Shamim and Hanam would like to have di- uh, a lunch with you, we sat down. And first of all, Shamim is the most incredible storyteller. You know, one of those people where you just lean back and you can smell sort of the sense that she's discussing and, and you can just, you know, I'm in the world. Yes. And then she said, so you'll be playing Katja and then her niece, Lauren. And I 
thought, no, I'm just going to walk out. I can't do this. I, I literally panicked. <laughs> and then gradually they talked me through how they would how they would film it and how they would focus on one character maybe one day and then jump to the other one. And I felt more and more safe. But I kind of love the idea of throwing myself into things that I that terrify me. But at the same time, what we had is the author of the book on set as the director of the film which meant I couldn't do any wrong by the, yes. by the author yes and if there was anything I needed help with there she was the source of all my knowledge yes um, I was going to say this I is, felt protected yes well, I can imagine this is very unusual yes very I can't I should be able to think of another stuff. There must be other examples. Yeah, here's another list. Yeah, so we have a it's list. Very it's very similar Guinness, to the first list. Yes, <laughs> you spotted the floor in my listing. Yes, I haven't got a list because I really don't know. But, you know, for the for the novelist to adapt their own novel and then to direct it, you obviously have the first two come hand in hand a lot. But Incredible. it's rare that they actually are filmmaker as well. It's quite a broad kind of vision. I think what's more common is a tad of conflicts, maybe, uh, of, of trying to stay true to a book, but knowing that you're adapting it to an audience for a big screen but usually for me it's been fine I mean we've had the author on set sadly enough I didn't get to meet Joe Nesbo who did the snowman wrote the snowman um, did you not? no I didn't I got to see his team and he saw Michael but I wasn't filming that day Don I know Don he's a, he's a super celebrity in Oslo obviously I know he is he's a super celebrity in Sweden I think worldwide but there's still time. There's there is still time. time for and if the... they come out, and usually, I mean, they have let go of their book. Yeah. And there's a, usually a, a good collaboration between director and author. I'd love to sit on that table, sit around that table and hear sort of their conversation of how to tell the story. Which of the two characters kind of initially grabbed you when you got the script? It was the jumping in between. Okay. It was portraying Katya in the post Russia era and the high stakes and her wanting to avenge her parents who were killed during the Stalinism regime. But then to tell that story through the eyes of her own niece, trying to figure out her own history and, and, and the secrecy of what must not be mentioned in her own family history, that was what I loved about this whole situation. She's a very different sort of spy to Ilse Faust in the sense that you don't see Ilse Faust hiding under any cabinets in Mission Impossible. Um, no. But there is still that kind of murky, mm. obviously subterfuge at play here. Do you have a natural interest for like, this kind of period, this this Cold War setting? Because it does seem to be something that's in the kind of ether at the moment. Think, you know, Le Carre is, is playing oh, a lot right I know. now. I think espionage has always been on the centre of people's interest because it's mystique. It's, it's, it's a world that we are not welcomed into really it's a world that we know nothing and should know nothing about it's a taboo world it's a world where we could only imagine what happens and it still happens i mean there are spies out there and they will see this film maybe and they'll go oh i know what she's talking about nudge nudge but yeah i've, I've always I've, i'm intrigued by the world of, of being of being i'd love to be a spy really i'd love to be a spy you came away from rogue nation and thought i want more more yes, daytime window cleaner spy by night. Okay. You could have a better day job, though, couldn't you? What? Really? Well, you could just, I don't know. I like washing. I like windows. I'm not, dis- I'm, not, I'm not dissing window cleaning as a <laughs> profession. I'm just... <laughs> Think bigger. I don't know. You could be like sort of, you know, more of an international play person. No, but it is. It's the sort of the unexpected. Yeah. I love the unexpected. I think that's also why I also refer a lot to the older, the actors back in the days, where there's some kind of a, a mystique. Yes. And there's not instant gratification and the way that we cut films now and edit it. And, you know, that kind of... Wham, wham, wham. Yes, yes. You linger on someone's face. Yes. You get to see thought process... Without revealing everything. You see that all in Hitchcock films, you which, which this has elements of. Ilsa, uh, mm. obviously an Ingrid Bergman character, mm. 
did you have when you talk when you were talking about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation? Did you have reservations about referencing another sort of Scandinavian actress? Did you do you worry that you know that kind of gets out and people are like, oh, Rebecca Ferguson's the new Ingrid Bergman? I mean, is that is that a sort of no? A two-edged these things sword? will always happen because that's how I think our minds work. It's mm. she's the new this and then he's the new that and this is the new black. Ingrid was, Ingrid Bergman, I can't just say Ingrid, Mrs. Bergman or Miss Bergman, was a person, when I read the script, when I heard the story by Christopher McQuarrie, when, when Tom was telling me about her, this is the person who, who came to life in my head. And funnily enough, it was, of course, the person who Christopher McQuarrie had had in his head for portraying Hills as well. And also, um, Robert Whitlock, who was the DOP, he, he created this Hitchcocker-esque sort of ambiance to it. It's sort of a, a 1940s starlet and then shake out the hair, 2015 kick-ass she attitude. Kick-ass. She is kick-ass. Yeah, she's You must kick-ass. be, I mean, look, since about sort of 2012, 2011, you've been kind of non-stop, I guess. And, and, but Mission Impossible is obviously a colossal breakthrough for you. Mm. Looking back at the process now and how it felt, does it feel surreal or do you, are you able to sort of process it kind of one step at a time? Because you, you've been acting since you were a teenager, mm. so it can't be new to you on one level. But then this is a bit of a catapult into the stratosphere, isn't it? It's a massive catapult and any job that I've done of course generates for the next job but Mission opened up a complete new world and I can feel it just looking back at the last year and a half what I've been offered and what I've had the possibility to do and I haven't actually had time to grasp all of it and as you said it's sort of in post situation where I'm at home and I go my god what have I done and who have I met and who have I worked with and I can't believe that happened wow that's finished already and I'm moving on to this it it goes so fast. Do you get home and, and, and struggle to open the door for the Donnie, mountain I get of home scripts? For, I get home, no. <laughs> I wish. I get home to masses of commercials and lots of bills. No, and I get home for 24 hours and then I'm off again, which is great. It's active now and I'm, I'm trying to ride on that wave. When you found out about Rogue Nation, I believe you were on a camel when you found out that you got the, the, the role for that. I is there a Barbie. key? Barbie the camel. Mm. Um, is there a key to celebrating on a camel in such a way that it won't kind of throw you off across the Sahara? <laughs> well, I was on a camel and they came up and they said Tom Cruise would like to meet you in London in oh, a couple okay. of hours. Right. And we're letting you go, but you need to go now. And I jumped off and a couple of hours later, I was in a room with Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie playing around. And 12 hours later, I'm back on Barbie. Incredible. Same camel. Of course, same camel. <laughs> Only Barbie is the best. And then a month later, I was back on the same roads in Wisersat on a motorbike. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a bit of a head trip, I'd imagine. Number six is, is going to be happening. You're going to be back. Will you get running shoes for this one? <laughs> have you asked for them? Have you demanded? I'm, I, I haven't actually seen. I know they're working on a script right now. And we never know where the script will take us. I don't know who will be a part of it. Do you think it's important, just from your own sort of speculative point of view, that we learn more about the character? Definitely. About Miss Faust. I or think we need to know pref- a lot about Ilsa Faust. Because she's kind of that kind of... Bo- she's, so at the born, she's at the born kind of supremacy phase, isn't she? Like, we know a bit about her now, but there's probably an awful lot more that we don't know. I th- there's a lot you don't know about her. Is there a lot of things that you know about her that we don't know about of her? Of course, and there's a lot of things you will never find out about her, and that's why she's so wonderful. And that's why I want her back, because I want to know more about her. But we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's room, but we never know. And if there's not, then I would have, I've, I've loved what I've done. I mean, I've loved the situation to be able to challenge myself in ways that I never thought I could ever manage. It's kind of raised the bar for the Bond franchise as well, in terms of female characters, would you say? Well, you know, match your match. <laughs> would you play a Bond girl? That's a hard one. Yeah, who wouldn't play a Bond girl? 
if if it's a good Bond girl and it's a good role. It's become a thing, hasn't it, to just play a Bond girl. It's as if you're a part of a franchise where you portray this idea of something belonging to what is the lead. Yeah. I think if it's an interesting character and something that I have something to work with and it's meaty, then of course. I don't just want to play a Bond girl. I don't want to play just a Mission Impossible girl. No. I don't want to play a girl no. to anything. No. I, I want to play a role. Of course. Well, I mean, Ilsa is kind of the anti-Bond girl in some senses. You'd wonder who'd come out on top in a proper scrap. Just to say something, I have to say that I, I did as well as I could with this role, but to see Tom and Christopher McQuarrie, when we sat down, we went to balance this character so she doesn't become this female rebel of just power and not the damsel in distress mm. it's a person and that we need to leave the screen and just love her for being Ilsa Faust as we love Ethan Hunt as we love Charlize and Mad Max it's such a fine balance because there's so many holes to fall into yeah we had Christian McQuarrie on the Empire podcast for I think two and a half hours talking I know about, I and it was amazing it. It was an, I mean just a plug for it it's a I great know, great interview listen to him yes. I worked with that yes yes it's amazing I know for eight mm, months I know every day it's fascinating about how he and Tom share ideas and bring things to set and, and it must be exciting for you it's exciting and not knowing I mean I walk on not knowing what we were going to shoot that day wow because things change all the time and what you have to do is be on your toes and adapt and just throw yourself into it. It's a completely different way of working. Sounds terrifying. But Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Florence Foster Jenkins, yeah. Stephen Freer's new movie is coming out as well, which mm. we're going to see you in. But we haven't really seen anything from you in the trailers to date. Are you in the opera house, in the rafters, with a sniper rifle, trying to shut Meryl Streep's bad singing down? <laughs> What's happening? Where are I you? I cut her wings off. <laughs> I play the role of Hugh Grant's girlfriend. So I represent another part of his life. Right. I'm actually looking forward to seeing it. I mean, this is a Meryl Streep, Hugh Grant, Simon Halberg film. I just wanted to be a part of it. I'll be a bin bag. I don't care. It's Stephen Frears and I get to see him in action. How bad is Meryl Streep's bad singing? Oh, it's perfect. Really? Mm. Okay. It is perfectly, horrendously brilliant. (laughs) You went to music academy, didn't you, when you were, you know, in your your teens? I I did, did, so I know how to judge a bad singer. (laughs) (laughs) I barely sing in the shower. I do sing in the shower. Really? Uh, I do. Do you sing in English or Swedish? I mix and match. Okay. Yeah. Do you swear in English or Swedish? Any language. I love swearing. Really? Mm. You have a favourite swear word? Mm-hmm. Well, can you tell me what it is? Fuck. Okay. Do you have a favourite bit of swearing in a movie? This is a question. Yes, I do. Podcast. Give me the keys, you motherfucking cocksucker. Do yes, you remember it? I do. Mm, which film? That, I believe, is from Tarantino movie. Nope. Oh, my God. Give me the keys, you motherfucking cocksucker. My professional credibility is literally flashing away before our ears. It's Christopher McQuarrie's The Usual Suspects. Of course it is. Benicio del Toro. Yeah, well, he did. Give me a huge motherfucking so what the fuck. Yeah, that's good. In English. Probably. That is a great bit of movie swearing. It's the best movie that's swearing. That's very impressive. Are you allowed to leave this in? Yes, we are allowed. I was going to brief you on this. Fuck, that's brilliant. You can swear away. What's your favourite? My favourite bit of movie swearing is uh, from Get Shorty, uh, Dennis Farina, late great Dennis Farina. There's, I think someone insults him. Someone says, fuck you. And he says, no, fuck you, fuckball. And he just managed <laughs> to get more swear words into one sentence than every, any other human being alive. Oh, um, I just like the economy great. of it. But there some great movie swearing I'm sure there's a super cut in that I have to ask you there was rumours about you being involved with Ridley Scott who obviously did The Vatican with a few years back on yes. Prometheus 2 oh um, 
you know, well, That's I mean, not you, what did, I was you did the Vatican, but there were, there were these rumors. Was there anything in that at all at any point? You never came across that. No, 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 no. I, I think this happens and this is very, very common. As soon as there's a new film out and there's a big director and there's a female part and they look and they go, oh my God, who's the big film actor? Probably Emily Blunt was up for it as well. And maybe Charlize Theron. Right. Anyone who is uh, remotely interesting, probably Alicia Vikander. Okay. We will all, You'll all get be a target names. for it and happy if someone might call. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you are in a film with Emily Blunt, um, <sighs> The Girl on the Train, which to me, I mean, have you ever... I, f- I have a secret crush on her. She's pretty it's not awesome. Very secret it's anymore. not a secret crush. No. The secret is out. She's my lesbian lady lover. Okay. <laughs> If I, if I paid attention to follow-up question class at Journalism Academy, I'd know what to say at this point. <laughs> um, but she's sweat in your hands. Oh no! Well, you know, just call me. Um, she is terrific, and as is Justin Thoreau. Yeah, it's a really good cast all round. Uh, and Tate Taylor, who did oh, the help, yes. is behind it. It feels like when you read the book, it could be one of those kind of really cool Alan Pakula, maybe eighties thrillers, that kind of vibe, or it could be maybe. a David Finchery kind of really dark, gone girly thing. It depends well, on how they edit it. Right? Do you have a sense of no idea? Right. Interesting. I know. Interesting. The- <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> talk about say, killing that. You know, no, no, well, no, you know what? It's so hard. I don't look at the footage that we do during the filming. I, I stand in front of the camera. I have fun with my actor colleagues. I'm not the director. I play around. I do the best I can. And then hopefully it turns out marvellous and everyone's happy. Uh, it's out of my hands. But it's going to be good. I hope it's going to be good. <laughs> the DOP, Charlotta, is just spectacular. I want to work with her again. Did you share some war stories, Tom Cruise war stories with Emily Blunt on this one? Oh, my God, non-stop. <laughs> non-stop. And Meryl Streep stories. It's as if I'm just following oh, him. Oh, yeah, right. Mm, she did Into the Woods and Devil Wears Prada. Good point. Pebble Wears Drada. Pebble Wears Drada, I think it's That's called. That's a good spoonerism. And there's been another one. It's, it's probably going to fall into the whole Emily Blunt, Alicia Vikander, Charlie's whatever, mm-hmm. you know, rumour. But Captain Marvel. Carol Danvers. Mm. Your name has been mooted in relation to that as well. I'm sure it's just, you know, so much vapour. But is that something, is that kind of Marvel, that superhero world that's God, so prevalent? I get prevalent? so excited when you say that. You know what? I know. Mm, it's, it's, we're probably all in the, in the, the shot line of, of interest. But I have, I don't know. Have we thought of a third part of the Snowman trilogy? Ooh. Give me my car keys, you fucking snowman. Give me, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, we now this, we have to be witty. I know. I, I know. know. You killed it's it. It's no place to end a podcast. No, that's it, really bad. Uh, we'll come back for another, come back again and we'll do, we'll, we'll find okay, a third part. Rebecca Fox, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for coming to talk to us on Thank the podcast. Okay, time now for movie reviews. Let's start with Favs and his remake of The Jungle Book. Of course, it's a 1967 Disney animated classic, one of my absolute favourite Disney animations of all time. The very first film to ever make me cry. Uh, what do we make of this one? I really enjoyed this one. Absolutely gorgeously animated and put together by the guys at MPC, but it's the familiar story. A man-cub Mowgli, who's played by Neil Sethi, has been raised by wolves in the jungle, led by Lupita Nyong'o. But the bloodthirsty tiger Shere Khan, who's voiced by Idris Elba, has a, has a grudge against him and swears to hunt him down. And so he must leave the jungle, he must go on a journey and return to the man village, led by Bagheera, who's voiced by Ben Kingsley, and uh, somewhat sidetracked by Bill Murray's Baloo. So that's kind of the setup. It's a familiar story. There are a few changes, a few tweaks here and there, but it's it's very much the, the outline of what you've seen before. There's a bit less singing, not to say none, but certainly less. And it's all, I mean, we call it live action in the sense that they are photorealistic-ish, but at the same time, it's, you know, almost entirely 
animated. So it's a strange position in which we find ourselves. But basically, you know, this was filmed with Neil Sethi on boxes in downtown LA and uh, has now been turned into an, an absolutely stunning depiction of a jungle. Probably more beautiful, I think, than anything you'd get in, in a lot of the photorealistic world, to be perfectly honest. Kind yes. of emphasised and, and brightened up and, and made bigger and more impressive as if seen through the eyes of a child. But it's an absolutely gorgeous looking film. It's the first film since Avatar to really push this technology in this direction and to really present a world, an immersive world. And it's the first film, I'm not a 3D fan. Yeah. I'm not a 3D fan at all. 3D can go take a hike as far as I'm concerned. But I saw this in 2D and I came out going, actually, you know what? I want to see this in 3D. I saw it in 3D and it absolutely justified the 3D for me. This is this is the first yeah, this is the first it. film in a long time where you should try and see it in 3D. You should seek it out in 3D. Apart from anything else, for the end credits, which are completely delightful and probably end credits of the year. I know that sounds like I'm damning it with faint praise, but honestly, they're absolutely glorious. I haven't even mentioned Christopher Walken as King Louis, mm-hmm. who is uh, a gigantic Pithecus here, not mm. an orangutan, because you know they don't actually have orangutans in India. So they, they have because yes. <laughs> they're striving for realism. Well, they kind of are a little bit. I think they've tried to be respectful of the natural well, world. And, yes, there is a kind of bear. In, in, there is. Yeah, there is. He's not quite as big as that, and the wolves aren't quite as big as that. But that's that's what I meant about it being seen through the eyes of a kid. Everything is yeah. slightly bigger and more impressive than it really would be in real life. And they all have American accents and English accents, you know, like <laughs> animals yeah. would. Yeah. Mm. What do you think, Nick? Uh, I thought it was amazing as a as a spectacle, as pure kind of you know visual eye poppery. I kind of you just get immersed in that world, and you know it's uh, it's hard not to enjoy a movie where Gary Chandling uh, voices a porcupine. Yeah. Um, and no, I really enjoyed it. I, I think that its shortcomings may be plot-wise. It's a little bit generic, and there was no. I was never really on the edge of my seat wondering what was going to be happening next. I kind of you know, a because it's a familiar story, but b because it kind of is fairly formulaic. But I, I very much enjoyed it, and I, I you know it's an, it, I wouldn't mind going back and seeing it again on the big screen. Bill Murray turns up just as things are getting a bit too serious and lightens everything up and brightens the story up enormously. Mm. He's he's utterly delightful as as Baloo. Scarlett Hansen's pretty good as Cash. Doesn't get very much to do. I didn't I didn't find Baloo as lovable, nearly as really? lovable as the. It's just it's something about seeing a photorealistic bear. <laughs> even yeah. though even though Bill Murray is perfect doing the voice of Baloo, you can't think of anyone better. To, to be he basically is a real life Baloo just wandering around, getting into adventures. It's a very different take on the character, but, um, isn't it? It's a, he's more of a shambling stoner in this one, and, and a bit of a con that, artist as yeah, well. Mm. Uh, he's not the, he's not the lovable, deep voiced, big hearted Baloo. Yeah, I had a I had a Baloo when I was uh, small. I had a uh, so an insight into my life. I had a Baloo teddy bear, which I loved, and that character design and everything about it is just wonderful and lovable and I again my issue was just it's just a photo it's just a bear that has Bill Murray's voice and for me it wasn't quite as uh, as lovable fair mm. enough yeah but uh, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot like about this film I, I admit that uh, it took me a long time through the film to get used to the idea of these incredible for the most part there's like a couple of small shots here and there where you can tell it's green screen or you can tell it it's a CG animal but uh, apart from that it's the effects in this are absolutely stunning stunning but it took me a long time to get used to the idea that that's a photorealistic panther and it is talking with Ben Kingsley's voice and his lips are moving and his 
freaking me out. I don't know what to do. Please help me. <laughs> I'm the one who refuted for Empire. I gave it three stars, which, as we all know in the podcast, is a recommendation. And I do recommend it for this film. I have issues with it. I thought it was a little bit formulaic, as Nick said. Sadly, and I think you guys will disagree with me in this one, I thought that as good as the animal performers are, I thought that, and it feels really harsh to be criticising a kid in his very, very first film, but I thought the performance of Neil Sethi wasn't as good as Lewis around him. I thought he was struggling a bit, and that struggle was palpable, and it damages the film. In I, my humble opinion. Yeah, I completely disagree. I thought he was absolutely charming. Per- perhaps because I'd been, I'd heard people like you say things like that about him, but I just thought he was an absolute People sweetheart. like me. People like you. Haters. You people. Duh, you um, hater. But I, I completely agree a bit about how, how incredible it looks. Little things like wet fur used to be pretty much impossible to do realistically. And in this, you know, rain can fall, mud can fly and it interacts. And, mm. and that's incredibly difficult to do. You never doubt it or I didn't doubt it for a minute. Absolutely lovely stuff. It is good. Uh, and also it's a darker film than the original. There are no singing vultures like the Beatles. There's nothing There's nothing like that. You know, obviously Shere Khan is always a terrifying figure. King Louis is terrifying in King this. King Louis yeah. is terrifying He's in this played, film. Christopher Walken plays him like a kind of mafia don, mixed with Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. Yeah. yeah. And he's <laughs> terrifying. And the song, uh, Wanna Be Like You, is kind of still foot-tapping, but well, like, it's, quite psychotic as well. It's joyous in the cartoon, and it's actually a dark threat in this movie. But it is. I mean, there's a threat in the cartoon well, as well. Of course, a threat in the cartoon as well, especially if you listen to the lyrics. But it's a really fun song. And in this one, it's not fun. And I thought it was a very, very interesting and bold uh, decision by Favs, <laughs> as we call him, uh, to, to push the film in that direction. In fact, for the longest time, I thought he's completely excised the songs. I don't want to ruin things for people, but there was a moment that did make me well up. And I wondered if I welled up because I loved what they were doing with the song, what they were doing with the song in particular, or what they were doing with the the, the moment, the emotion at the moment, or whether it was because it had tapped into a a sense of nostalgia for me. And there are moments in this film that are truly, truly delightful, but I I do feel that ultimately it is a a three-star film. I was humming the bare necessities for a week after seeing this. (laughs) I couldn't get that damn song out of my head. So I I love the music, and uh, I kind of wish there'd been more of it, to be honest. But the caveat is I didn't see it in 3D. And I do wonder if I'd seen it in 3D, whether I'd be going four stars. Apparently not, you big hater. I am a big (laughs) negative hater. So there we go. Okay, next up is Eye in the Sky, uh, which is a tense thriller from director Gavin Hood. uh, Stars Helen Mirren, Aaron Paul, Barkhad Abdi. And in his last on-screen role, he'll be a voice in Alice Through the Looking Glass uh, later in the year, the great Alan Rickman. Yeah, so this is a story about drone warfare, essentially. You have Colonel Powell, who's played by Helen Mirren, who is in an army base in England. She is connected up with the drone pilots led by Aaron Paul, who are in an army base in Nevada, if memory serves. Alan Rickman is a general based in London. There's a foreign secretary who's on the phone from, I think, Hong Kong or Shanghai, I can't remember. And you have Barkhad Abdi, who's the man on the ground, who is in Kenya. And he is trying to watch a small house where drone surveillance has revealed that several suspected terrorists are going. Now, Barkhad Abdi is also using a little tiny fly-sized drone to get into the house and have a look. And it looks like they are actively, right now, about to go to don suicide vests and leave the house. So the time pressure is on. And it's a, it's a look at, I guess, modern warfare in a strange way. It's looking at all of this information is coming in. Everyone involved can see everything that's happening, which means that everyone involved can see a small girl girl right up against the wall of the house selling her mother's bread and they're trying to figure out a way to get the terrorists and save the girl without alerting the terrorists to what they're doing 
So it's it's huge moral dilemma stuff. It's a fascinating look at the modern world because if you think about it, years ago you would have sent the soldiers in and you wouldn't have known that there was somebody there in the line of fire. And so you wouldn't have this going up the chain of command. But right now, everyone involved has to sign off on potentially endangering this child. That's only the setup. There's a huge amount of back and forth, give and take, changing circumstances, which I don't want to get too into. Fantastic performances all round, although this isn't really a character film. It's more a, a moral dilemma film, if you know what I mean. It's, yeah, it's yeah. you know, people are informed by their, by their profession, by their role more than they are by the trauma of something that happened 30 years ago kind of stuff. It's a film that keeps you tense and keeps you nervous and keeps you uneasy because you're not sure what is the right thing to do in these circumstances. And I think that's sort of, I would say, it's power. It's a very tight thriller. It's not overly long. And it does set up some really thorny moral issues. So I think that's kind of a valuable thing. So yeah, I, I, I rather enjoyed it. This is the reason that we spoke to Helen Mirren a couple of months ago for the for the big interview. And, you know, she was talking about how it's just, it's a really meaty kind of thoughtful film. And, and I would agree with that. I think it's Gavin Hood's best film in quite some time, quite frankly. And he's licked his wounds post-Wolverine. Yeah, and Ender's Game as well, you know. So this I've is forgotten about Ender's yeah, Game. <laughs> this is so a bit I, of a, I was on set. This is much closer to his sort of um Sotsi, his breakthrough South African film and I think it, it shows that this is maybe a, a subject a little bit closer to his heart. So yeah, we give this four stars and four I would stars. I would go yeah, with that. Absolutely. Four stars for Eye in the Sky. Also out this week, sadly, Rebecca Ferguson's movie, Despite the Falling Snow, didn't curry favour with us. Uh, two stars for that. Also another two stars meted out to the Sweeney Colon Paris which is, and I'm not making this up, a French remake of the Nick Love version of The Sweeney, which came out a couple of years ago with uh, Ray Winston and Plan B. Gosh. This is it is like, like a- when Gus Van Sant did a Hitchcock, you know, a psycho shot-for-shot shot remake. Mm-hmm. But somebody in France thinks that The Sweeney <laughs> is, is up there with Psycho, <laughs> <laughs> lovingly recreating it. Yeah. Well, so what's it about? Uh, it's what, it's like, about the, 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 well, the, the, the flying squad, the, the, the French police trying to take down, I can't even remember the plot of The Sweeney. But why, but have they, why have they remade it? Why have they remade it? I don't know. But Sean Renner was in it as the, uh, the Ray Winston version of, of Reagan. He's, uh, but amazingly, his partner, so it's Reagan and Carter in, in the Sweeney. Yeah. And Sean Renner's partner in this is called Cartier. I'm Trey not making yeah. it up. Trey That's, yeah. That is quality. That is wow. quality. Wow. I wonder if there's a scene where uh, Sean Reno tries to seduce the French equivalent of Hayley Atwell in his uh, in his tidy whities <laughs> like Ray Winston does. What are the movie. French equivalent of tidy whities What's the French equivalent of, of yeah. <laughs> That's a very, very good point. Wow. You know French. Uh, yeah, I don't know it that well. <laughs> Blanc, is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Blankety blanks. <laughs> Blankety blanks. Yes, I think that's correct. So, so Ray Winstone is the, is the new Gary Busey in Point Break, and uh-huh. John Reno is the new Ray Winston in Le Sweeney Paris. <laughs> Gary Busey needs to do a remake of Leon. Oh my God! That and then the amazing. circle will be complete. Exactly. Exactly. I can't. I watched the Point Break remake uh, last week on a plane, which is the, the right place to watch it. Did you then dive out and <laughs> my squirrel suit. <laughs> but at no point does does Ray Winston do the meatball thing from. Uh, oh, what I, even is the point? They really mucked it up. He doesn't even do that. Doesn't even do the meatball speech. Does he do anything? I heard he does. He nothing. doesn't. He doesn't. He sits in a car a lot. But, you know, up the ante. Make it like double the number of meatballs from uh, the previous <laughs> Point Break films. <laughs> no, it's. It's not good. All right, so uh, two stars then for the Sweeney Paris, uh, which is a film I, I do want to see at some point. You could you could you could spread this out, couldn't you? The Sweeney Cologne, the Sweeney Blackpool. You could have all sorts of different uh, the Sweeney franchise. It's a thing you could technically do. Yeah, if you were so inclined, you could do this. Yeah, my granny's a Sweeney. I feel like this is somehow disrespectful to her. Your granny's in the Flying Squad. Um, I mean, no, but she's a Sweeney. So. Oh, her her name's a Sweeney. There you go. 
And then also out this week is Kevin Costner, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Oldman, hell of a cast in the brain swap sci-fi thriller Criminal. The Empire Review is not up yet, but I am led to believe it will be in the region of two stars and so sadly underwhelming. I'm led to believe that a line of dialogue, an actual line of dialogue from Criminal is who punches someone in a patissier, you animal? Well, is that a line of dialogue from that or from Sweeney Paris? Because it sounds like it could be, <laughs> it could be applicable to both. I believe it was, in fact, criminal. Yeah. I just hope there's a line of dialogue where someone says, forget everything you think you know. I just hope there's a line of dialogue where they go, hey, every featured actor in this movie has been in a DC movie playing some kind of superhero <laughs> or adjunct there too. That's Have weird. We? Ryan Reynolds, yes. Gal, Gal Gadot, Gadot yes. yes. Tommy Lee Jones, no. Two-Face. Two-Face, yes. Hang on, Gary Oldman? Yes. Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon. Gordon. Kevin Costner, Superman's dad. Holy, what? Whoa. This is... You can't see me right now, but I'm doing the Tim and Eric mind-blowing thing. This is... What the hell is going on? I don't know. It's some kind of DC alternate universe, I guess. Oh, five stars for Criminal. <laughs> Immediate upgrade. Wow. All their mums are called Martha. <laughs> Every single one of them. It's so unlikely. What a note on which to end. That's the most joyous end to a podcast I've ever had. That's extraordinary. Okay, well, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by Don Cheadle. Ooh. Mm, I know, exciting. If you could put Don Cheadle in your podcast. Put Don Cheadle in your podcast. Yeah, I've got to write a new intro for next week now, haven't I? And, <laughs> and Eric Banner. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. Rhodey and the Hulk will be on this podcast next week. It's very, very exciting. Our cracking, it's been a cracking month for people. It, it really is, has. yeah. Well it's people. Been, it's good been people. very, very good. And there's more, more goodness to come. Nick and I were around in McKellen's house the other day. We were. Uh, we were doing a podcast. He was wearing slippers with skulls on them. Yes. yes. That's exactly what you hope you were wearing. That is 100%. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Lovely pretty house. awesome. Lovely so house. Uh, look out for that uh, in a future date. And, oh, don't forget our Daredevil spoiler special podcast. We talked about whether we could do one. Many people have asked if we can Many do one. Many people have asked if we can do one. More people have asked if we shouldn't. No, uh, loads of people have asked if we, we can do a Daredevil season two spoiler special. Uh, I said maybe. It, it was dependent on whether we would get Charlie Cox. And we did. That's one of the reasons I was in Paris. To do Charlie Cox and Elodie Young, who plays Electra for the Empire podcast. So that will be up on Monday. Monday. So that's going to happen. Then the regular podcast is out next week with Eric Banner and Don Cheadle. And then look out for our Captain America colon Civil War spoiler special with the Russo brothers. And that's going to be out after the movie comes out in the States because we're like we're nice like that. We like to let people in the States have a chance to see it as well before we, we spread spoilers willy-nilly through the internet. So very, very busy time for the podcast coming up. Uh, do stay with us. Uh, your support is always valued. Until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Nick. Thank you for listening. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to look up monkey actors. See you next week. Bye. 